Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Yo. Yo. Aubrey Edwards, Tony Schiavone, we bout to party. We bout to party. Unrestricted. Got the house now. We gon' turn it up, up, bring the house down. Got that big space pump and make them bounce now. Flossing like they bossing and the freaks are coming out now. Welcome to AEW Unrestricted, the official podcast of All Elite Wrestling. We've got Aubrey and Tony here today, and we're very, very happy to welcome back Mr. William Regal. Last time we had him on the show, it was me and Alex Abrahentes. We talked about lizards. We talked about Black Bull Combat Club, and it was a long time ago, and a lot of things have happened since then. So we finally got Shivani on the episode because he's been a lazy bum. And uh, how are you doing, Tony? (laughs) (laughs) I'm great, Aubrey. Thank you for asking. And uh, it's, it's, you bitch. I know. It's really good to be uh, talking to my uh, longtime friend, William Regal. Hello, Tony. How are you? I'm fine, my friend. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. Hello, Aubrey. How are you? Hello. Hello. Good to see you. I should, I should have said hello to you first, but Mr. Giovanni came on there with his filthy mouth. <laughs> I set him up for it. He needs washing out with soap. Mm. Yes. Listen, listen, William Regal is is the one person that one of the few people that I stayed in contact with during my uh, yes. my eighteen years away from the business because we have always been very good friends and yes, it, it is so great connecting with you and and let me say this I uh, I did not know when you walked out at Revolution I, I did not know you were there I did not know you were coming. I know we had done an interview with Brian Daniels and I did where he mentioned your name during the interview. And I remember thinking that's odd that he would mention his name. And then when you walked out and I screamed, William Regal, what's he doing here? I w- it was legit. And of course I put the headset down and ran to the back of you recall and said hello to you. Yes, you did. But you said so much actually really filthy things that we can't say and you called me all kinds of things yeah um for, for not telling you i was coming yeah we won't say that on air right uh but I, it was all it was all in affection yes yes it was an affection <laughs> and i think the actual quote yes. was man it's great to see you thank you for kayfabing me you dirty motherfucking brit something like that sounds about there, right. was, there was one other word that we definitely shouldn't say on this i don't care okay. how far you can go <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you, uh, you started in WCW, uh, in 1991, I believe. No, I, I had a tryout for, uh, well, it wasn't actually a tryout. I had a match for WCW in England. WCW had started showing on, um, late night TV on ITV. Right. WCW came in 1991, the promoter brought them over. WCW wanted to see a big star wrestler in England called Giant Haystacks, who, who you later know, uh, Tony, was Loch Ness. 
Right. Unfortunately, when he came to WCW, he was not in the best of health. And right. after he left, he unfortunately very quickly went and, and unfortunately passed away. Right. But they wanted to see him because he was an attraction. Well, I was wrestling him all the time. And so they asked me to just do one show at Earl's Court in London. Right. Unbeknownst to me until a few years ago, Scott Hall as the Diamond Stud was on that that week. And I knew Scott Hall from being in Germany with him for five weeks in 1989. We got on very well. I, Unbeknownst to me, Scott Hall went to the agent in charge of this tour in England and told him that he'd hurt his elbow and said, keep me on the tour. So I ended up spending, I had to call the promoter that I was working for and say, look, I've had this opportunity. He said, please do it. So I spent the week with WCW that week and I wrestled Terry Taylor, Jimmy Garvin, Michael Hayes and Oz in Dublin in Ireland. Mm-hmm. There was a lot went on on that. So that was when all the, the money was going missing. I don't know if you remember that story. I won't mention his name, but there was money going missing. Yes. And I felt terrible because I thought, oh, they're going to think it's me, right? Right. One day, Terry Taylor said to me, you okay? And I said, I just feel terrible because I'm new on the four days or five days. And there's money disappearing everywhere. Everybody must think it's me. He said, oh, we know it's not you. It's him. We know it's him. It was happening before. And anyway, there's quite a bit went on that tour. So that was my initial start with WCW right? and then they said we like you and we'd like to bring you in and then a few weeks before I did the WCW week I'd had a tryout because of Lord Alfred Hayes I'd had a tryout in the Royal Albert Hall for WWF at the time right? and they said we like you we want to bring you in well the following year 1992 I was in Germany for nearly seven months and Rip Rogers was there and Rip Rogers came in one day because we used to have to walk about an eighth of a mile to the phone box to call home from where we were staying, right? Mm. And he said, Bill Watts has took over WCW. He'd like you. Uh-huh. Are you still in contact with him? Because I was still getting messages from I got messages constantly every other month from WWE. As you know, Tony, things weren't quite as organized in WCW. Oh. I didn't hear anything from them. But what I used to Shocker. do was yeah, I still used to send out my um, resume, which was how I got booked all over the world. You used to send an 8 by 10 with a resume and people who would vouch for you and whatever. That's how you got booked in those days. There was no, we didn't have any tapes or anything. That was how you got booked and it was word of mouth. So I hand wrote a letter to, because Rip told me to, he said, Bill Watts is very particular. I hand wrote a letter to instead of sending my normal printed out uh, resume to Bill Watts, a week later, I go the eighth of a mile at five o'clock at night to call my wife. And she said, Bill Watts' office is called, call immediately. I had to go and then, <laughs> to call America in those days wasn't easy, especially in a phone booth in Germany, right? Right. I had to go raid every shop I could to get as many coins as possible. I've called his office and I'm firing these Deutschmarks because it was just one Deutschmark which lasted about two seconds. <laughs> I've got a pile of them and I'm filing them in like a fiddler's elbow like that. My hand's going in and out <laughs> like that. And I, I get I get put straight through to his secretary 
Yeah. And then she put me through Bill Watson. He went, when can you start? And I said, I'm booked here till Christmas. And he said, I've heard about, I've talked to people who were on the tour with you last year. They all vouched for you. He said, have you got a contract? And I went, no. I said, but I can't walk out. I've give, given my word I'll be here till Christmas. And the phone went silent for about a minute. And it felt like the longest minute of my life. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, that's that. But that's the way I work. I've certain things that I've done that have kept me all the way through this because I've stuck to certain ways that I, I do business. After a minute, he just went, you've definitely got the job now. He said, because most people would have walked out on a deal like that to come to America. He said, you've got the job. He said, can you start the 1st of January? I said, yes. I was still in Germany. My wife was having to get every single piece of any poster, any anything, and, and find it and get it. And I was at and all kinds of people in Britain, because I was in Germany, to send it over to WCW so they could get me a visa. Eventually, because you had to prove that you were a, full, a wrestler. And at the time, it's different now. It was a lot easier to get visas. You had to prove that you were taking a job that an American couldn't do. And so they had to prove that I had a certain skill set, which was a, a different style of wrestling, which Bill Watts, I gather, liked certain styles of wrestlers and he, he had certain British wrestlers through his territories. So that's how I ended up. I should have come on the 1st of January. My visa got held up. I actually arrived in, in America on the 23rd of January, uh, 1993, and I did my first TV and you were there. On the 25th of January, 1993, I did two shows that day. My first one was getting interviewed by Jim Ross, and the second one was an enhancement match with Bob Cook. I've told these stories a million times, but that's how me and you met. And within the first week, I'm going to say this on this podcast, because I need to, this is why I mean Mr. Shivani are very close. On TV, I wasn't, it was awkward. I've just come from 10 years of wrestling all over the world and the best wrestlers you could possibly wrestle. I'd never done any less than 15 minutes or a, we used to wrestle in rounds a lot in Europe. Right. Less than five rounds. And the, the, my first day was, oh, three minutes, you get over. But with a particular style, because they'd all, everybody in charge there, all new Amer uh, English wrestlers from the 70s and different times. And they were all bumped, can you do this? Can you do this? Oh, yes, 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 yes. You know, my head was spinning, but I'd never done three minute match in my life. Like, you know, I'd, and to do that wrestling stuff, it's difficult, right? It, it's not difficult. You just need time to tell it as, as I got later on as Lord Steve. My interview skills, I'd been practicing for five years. I met a fellow called Irish Pat Barrett in England, who was a wrestler and I wrestled him when I was 19. He came over. He was a WWWF tag champions at one point and he traveled all over america all over the world really he got left a fortune's worth of property in london in the mid 80s and he became very rich overnight but he, he came to england for a few years to get his affairs in order i wrestled him one night when i was 19 he said you're going to go to america one day because i was getting locked i went from being a little 16 year old wrestler by the time I was 19, I was six foot three and starting to get heavier and getting to be a heavyweight. He said, you'll go like a lot of the Billy Robinson and Tony Charles and, and Les Thornton and that. You'll go to America one day. He said, none of you limeys know how to talk. 
from that moment onwards, I did nothing but practice my talking. All the other countries I ever went to in the world, you never did wrestling promos. All you ever did, it was press conferences, like with a suit on, like boxers. Right. So my first interview, I didn't feel it was very good. You were there. You helped me. You said, I think this was in the first, straight away, or the second week. What was saving me in WCW at the time was I was going straight away. I was booked on all the live events. Well, I was wrestling on all the live events against two Cole Scorpio, Chris Benoit. And so they were getting these reports. Oh, this fella can do all his stuff. Three minutes on TV. It's not the same. You know, you, people who run TV, Dusty and Mike Graham and, and, and Bill Watson, they only see what they see. They don't see the live events. Right. So I knew talking was a big thing. And I believe me, I nothing but practice and practice and practice. So you said to me, come down on a Wednesday, because that's when we do market-specific promos, and you know how many we used to do with that. And you set a camera up in a spare little room there, right. and I used to go down there, and I used to I never did any less than eight hours a day there. And I used to be able to film it and then watch it, and that was all down to you. And so very shortly, in front of a camera, my talking skills got decent enough that before I became Lord Stephen, the company were having me do promos for Davy Boy because he was a t- I think he was injured for a while and he had some big mass coming up. So I was actually doing the promos with you or whoever it may have been at the time, like selling the, the match for him. I've always got you to thank for that and, and me and you. And that was another thing, incredible thing you did for me. I'm, I'm giving Tony, I want people to know how much he's done for me uh, and because it means a lot. I became Lord Stephen in the June of 93. Right. Knowing that I needed a character to be able to pull off the wrestling stuff and a lot of things. And Bill Watts got fired after three months. So I thought, well, I'm going because he's brought me. And it was just, there was a lot of things. You being one of them, helping me, me on live events, being able to wrestle fellas and doing stuff that there wasn't anybody doing at that time because there wasn't the, the, you know, the standard of wrestling that me and Chris could do or, me and Scorp or, or whoever I was on with, we were doing some pretty ahead of its time stuff. And you also put me on commentary with Gordon Soley to do yep. the, the shows that went to England. So when I was just playing Steve Regal, I started doing commentary every couple of weeks. We'd do it in the CNN center with Gordon Soley. And the thing was, because it was taped, we used to do two matches go across to Reggie's English pub that was across the, just, just right in, inside the CNN Center. Right. Gordon had two G&Ts, two cigarettes, then we'd go back and do a bit more. <laughs> just being around Gordon was one, but that was all down to you. And all of a sudden I became whatever I became with, it, with changing the character. And then that was when me and you really started because you were interviewing me. Right. And we got this wonderful chemistry that we've, we've still got to this day. Yeah. So thank you very much indeed, Tom. Well, thank you. And one of the, Aubrey, and one thing that you'll realize about what is great about William Regal is, is that you can ask him one question and he will take an entire segment of Unrestricted. When we come back. Would you rather me be like some mute, some half wit that just gives you a one line answer? We love this, buddy. The less I talk, the better. We come back, we got a lot more to talk about, including the day that I'll always remember, the most memorable match, the greatest match I've ever called, 
uh, for March 24th, 1996, and we continue on Unrestricted. This is AEW Unrestricted. Tony and Aubrey talking to the wonderful and amazing William Regal. We heard a little bit about how he kayfabe Tony's ass. Didn't even know he was there, but already it's very clear that, you know, they go way back. They're super good friends. This is amazing. Uh, before the break, we we touched on, Tony, your favorite match. Yeah. I want to hear more about this. I want to hear more. Okay, so uh, we go to Tupelo uh, for <laughs> Unrestricted 1996. Now, first of all, this has nothing to do with your match, William. This is how bullshit WCW was back then. We have a <laughs> We have a show called Uncensored. But everything is censored. You can't do anything crazy. You can't do anything crazy. Well, Lord Stephen Regal and the Belfast Bruiser have a match, and it was completely uncensored. <laughs> and if you go back, if you go back and you listen to this match, you will hear me and I believe Heenan. Yeah, me and Heenan yes. and Dusty and Dusty and Dusty. The only thing we said during this match was, "Oh my God! Oh." Oh, oh, gee, oh, would you, oh. And it's because the Belfast Bruiser, Fit Finley, and William Regal, I, I guess, uh, let me look, let me see if I can find it here. Uh, the match went 17 minutes and 33 seconds. Jeez. According match to this. that never was. He calls the match never was. And that is because for 17 minutes and 33 seconds, you two legitimately beat the shit out of each other. I never will forget that as long as I live, because after the match was over, William Regal comes to me with his nose out here, which had been busted, and his broken orbital socket here, and his eyes sticking out here. And he said, how did that look? And I said, you're out of your fucking mind. You're just you and Fitz Bentley are out of your fucking mind. <laughs> so that match is the greatest match I've ever called. Thank you. From your perspective... Tell me about this match, how it was set up, and how it went down. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, can, I can talk these things now. There's one time I would never have said this because it's it's held up over time and, and, and things have changed. And, sure. And I, I, I'm very protective. I was brought into this job to keep the strength of the job. I understand it, and I appreciate that and respect that. I have yeah. to op- I, I'm going to open up about this match. Okay, that's good. Fifthly came over to America. I always got on with Kevin Sullivan. Kevin was living, he was he was trying to put right 400, 400 years of tyranny between the British and the Irish. Because like, <laughs> he, he couldn't do it with me, you know. Like, right. An Englishman and an Irishman, nobody cared. You know, this match holds up in time. Right. Not one of the fans could care less. Because I'm, I'm was pretty, and, and, and I don't like, you know, I'm not a braggart of, of any kind, but I had a lot of the, you know, it was easy time to, to be in, uh, doing a lot of American bashing. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of things with you that you, we, we could go into. You know, we had a, a long, and I'd been there for a while, and, and, and I had a ton of eat. This Irishman, and, and as soon as he got there, most people were scared to death to eat. Once they saw him wrestle, they didn't want to get in the ring with him. Right. So Kevin, basically, he's, he's trying to put things to right. I know you say I go on. I've just got to say this. So all the years I've been wrestling and what, live events, I, I was a great person for getting heckles and just put, you know, people would heckle me. That That's my thing. I can just verbally slaughter people. 
Mm. That was <laughs> my thing, and, and I and I just used to, and ended up having a lot of fun, but also being able to to do that on live events. Yeah, the, the best tackle that I ever got was I used to be hated when I was in WWE in in, in Belfast. I mean, people hated me. Yeah. I used to really go out of my way to just go get on. Obviously, I'm going to live up to this role, right? Well, it got to a point where we used to go there and I would just walk out and go, right, grab the microphone. Who wants to try it first? <laughs> and they became a running gag every time I was there twice a year. They'd be firing insults and I'd be just slaughtering people. Until one day, some fella just went, Regal, you're worse than 400 years of tyranny. And I just turned to him and just clapped him. And I went, that's it. I can't, I can't stop it. <laughs> and from then onwards... Everybody cheered this fella, but from then onwards, I couldn't do anything wrong for the next few years that I was wrestling there. Coming towards the end of my wrestling career, every time I went to Belfast, we still did the same thing, the Eppling thing, but it became, they couldn't cheer me enough or love me. It was just like a, a running gag. But anyway, okay. so he got two, he got an Englishman and an Irishman. Kevin Sullivan, his 10th generation Irish. I don't think he's even been there. Yeah. You know, there's a, you know, he's, he's, he's been throwing, then he's in the IRA buckets in Ireland, in Boston, and that for all, since he was a kid. Okay. You know, it's nothing to do with me. It's nothing to do with any of the, of the working class or the normal people in Britain. It's a government thing, but sure. he's got me and Fit battering each other. The night before, we're supposed to do a 30-minute draw. Right. I, it's the only pay-per-view that I can honestly say, and, that, and this is just what you saw. We definitely had the best match on the show. Yes. You know, I, I, I know my bit. I, I, I'm just a bit player on the, on the show. I'm just a journeyman wrestler. I don't think any, I know I'm a, whatever anybody thinks. I, I, I know my spot. And I, and I, and I also, I'm no problem to anybody. What you need and get it done. And I'm not going to create any fuss. And that's been my whole career. But this night, we weren't going out to do anything more than what we normally do. But it was, that pay per view was absolutely rock with the exception of our match. And our match, if you watch it, the crowd has no clue what to do because right. they've got an Englishman who they hate and an Irishman knocking the granny out of each other. Yes, the knocking the granny out of each other. Thank yeah, you. So, the shit out of each other. Okay. <laughs> we, we had been told that this match was going to be a 30-minute draw and at the end of it, Bobby and Dave Taylor were going to come down and then attack Fit. So me and Fit I'd wrestled each other, you know, for I've been wrestling, but I had my first match against Fit Finn when I was 18, and we wrestled all the time, you know, so it, it, it's just second nature to us. The only thing different about this match when he came to America was I was a villain and he was a villain. It used to be, I, whenever I wrestled him everywhere else in Europe, I was a baby face. Mm -hmm. So it was just, that was the only thing different. We just go out and do what we do, which is, you may think that whatever it is, we just have a style of wrestling that's pretty intense. We're told that it's 30 minutes. And Tony knows, uncensored, that there was a blood, no blood in in WCW at the time. Right. You couldn't do anything. Well, the night before, I happened to be in the hotel and a certain producer came up to me and he said, listen, Steve, he said, the devil, which he meant Kevin Sullivan, he said, the devil said, if there were to be a little drop of blood in this, we won't mind. <laughs> now, I know what that means. 
Yes, I do and, and I'm quite happy to do that. I've been doing yes, that of since I was a teenager. So yeah. It's not nothing to me to do that. And it's not in the way that most people think. One of my things was never wanting to be what other wrestlers are. Right. I'd rather you break my nose or split my eye open for real than me do anything artificial to get blood. I just have a pride in what I do. That was just, I know it may sound stupid. It yes. probably is. It really is, yes, but go yeah, ahead. Yeah, it really is. It, it really is. <laughs> okay. But that, that was the style of, and that's why I got to a job in America. That's why I got a job. It's the style of what I did. Right. And the people out there that taught me and was around fit being one of them and that. So we're just in a different kind of a mindset of how we do this and we want to protect the job. So I go out there. I'm thinking when the time's right, I'll just tell fit and he'll just, Punch me in the break, and he'll he'll like either get some blood out my nose or my lip or my eye or something. He'll he'll yes. or me, yeah, he'll, he'll do something, and, and there'll be some blood. So let me let me uh, let me frame this right before you continue. You just wanted to get blood and just punch me in the nose or in the eye or in the face. Whatever you need to do. Whatever you need to do to get blood out of me. Oh my god! Right. So, that, I mean, and that was just an unspoken thing that yes, we used to do. of course, of course. Not like we hadn't done it before. Sure. <laughs> so, for whatever you see of that match, that's why it became a thing with me, and it was the match that never was. It should have been 30 minutes. It got to 15 minutes, and right. I somehow ended up with him on, underneath the bottom rope with his head on the apron, and I'm over the second rope, and I've got him, yeah. And I thought, now's as good as any because he's got a clear shot in my face. And I just went, okay. And he just went. Mm, did he ever? And nothing happened. But I, I remember you you and Bobby just went, oh, it's like he didn't know what to do. He just started like, it yeah. was like, a, I don't know, this is a bit serious. Well, there was no blood. I, I mean, I've got a, ooh, my eyes like rock now, but no blood. So he drags me out the ring, grabs me by the wrist, and you can find this bit of footage. And he just, the infamous words of grit your teeth. <laughs> and he pulled me towards him and punched me. And with one punch, he fractured my eye socket, broke my nose and gave me 12 stitches in the eye. And then we just carried on. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> As you do. Now, this is, because there was no communication there. No, no referee had an IFBN or anything, right? Nobody was talking to us. Nobody had told Eric Bischoff. So Eric Bischoff comes out from wherever he is screaming that the cameraman to pull off because there's that much blood spurting out of me. So the cameras pull away now. A wide shot, right. And Eric's running around backstage. Dave's told me this because Dave had a cup of coffee and a cig in his mouth and he's just <laughs> waiting for the next 13 or whatever minutes because then he's got to do a running. Well, he's just stood, stood around like watching him on and all of a sudden, Eric screaming, get out there and stop it. So me and Fit, this is the bit I'm, I'm a bit, I'm still a bit, it eats me in here, but I'm going to have to tell that. Yeah. We, me and him hadn't planned to do anything until the last 10 minutes. We had a few ideas of kicking it into gear. So whatever you see of that match is not, there's nothing. We are just doing what we do with no idea what we're just going to get to that last 10 minutes. And then, then the match would start. Then, then it would start. So, we, we, whatever you see us doing, which is you say it's the, the best match you've ever got, we haven't even thought about it. We're just doing what we do. Right. So the next thing, Bobby and Dave come running down. Nobody's told told us. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, 
Dave's there going, well, but if you actually see it, the fit turns around and just starts laying into both of them. And they sort of like go, whoa, and they just run off. Because he starts really, because he don't know what's going on. So he comes back to me and then the referee starts telling him and then we end up. So whatever you see, the 10 minutes would have been when we really started kicking it into gear. Yeah. So again, it became the match that never was because we never ended them. We never actually got to even start the match in our our eyes. And then not long after is when we did that car park match, Mm -hmm. which was ridiculous. We got, they said, right, we have a streak. Fit was going back to Germany because he'd only come for three months. Uh, we'll have a car park match after Nitro's finished. Well, as the fans are leaving, four cars. So I get there in the afternoon. I said, which of the cars have got candy glass in or Oh, no, they're all real cars. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Sure. So me and him go out there and smash each other. I mean, I run his head through a car window. He kicks through a car window. I saw him a few months later because I ended up going to Germany at one point to do a match while I was a TV champion. And he said, are you still picking bits of glass out of you? And I said, yeah, I'm, I still had bits of, because it was real car glass. Real car glass doesn't break easy in, in windscreens. And right. So, yes, that was that's the story of that. It was the match that never was, but still your favorite match. And, and yes. people still watch it today and still think it, it is what it is. But it never really happened because we never got to actually finish the match. Two guys just beating the shit out of each other for 20 minutes. Then, oh, 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 it's about 20 minutes. We'll go ahead and start the match now. But no, Eric Eric said, no, we can't. <laughs> and I ended up in Austin Law that night. And I had like a serious, like, and I still never got that fixed. It was all smashed. And then in 2018, I had an accident. In, I went to Costa Rica and I'm getting off the plane at one o'clock. And I got my bag caught in the escalator and I fell forward. Luckily, the, the plastic round, I smashed the same eye socket again and got two bleeds on the brain and, and in the same eye socket. And that was uh, some, that's another story, but that put me out for a lot of, that put me the next, I had three weeks amnesia and I've still never got that eye socket fixed. So I need to get this fixed one day because it's, it does ache a bit in the damp weather. Let's put it that way. <laughs> All right. We will continue with William Regal after this on Unrestricted. This is AEW Unrestricted, Aubrey and Tony talking to William Regal. We've we've hit a whole solid two questions this whole time, but every every little bit said has been absolutely amazing. I feel like we could probably do like twenty thousand podcasts just on William Regal because there's Yes. Yeah, it's it's insane. And I mean, there's so much to cover and so little time. And I'm just looking at like this list of title matches, this WCW. TV championship, you've defeated Ricky Steamboat, you've defeated Larry Zbysko, defeated Lex Luger, defeated Ultimo Dragon. Like, is there something that stands out in your mind or one of those opponents that you really remember either fondly or negatively? Or is there any sort of title run that you've had where you're like, yes, this is this is the one? The TV title the first time wrestling Ricky Steamboat was like sheer insanity to me. I, I, this is September of 93 the year before although it was a big company i was wrestling at the same time i was wrestling in a huge circus tent in germany for nine weeks in the same place because they used to run these songs i'm stood there at 25 years of age 
looking across the ring. Ricky Steamboat's there, and Michael Buffer is the ring announcer. And I, I remember thinking, how's this happened? What am I doing here? I don't belong here. Yeah, you know, like it's just insanity how, how quickly it all went. And then the other thing I remember, this is all is was when I broke my neck. Right. If you on the very finish of that match, you can watch it. A German suplex him, and you can actually see my neck just goes bang to one, and it just goes to one side, like my neck crigs, and my, both my arms and my legs went dead. And somehow I got to my feet, nailed the bell, but that was when they've traced it back to when I ended up having all kinds of major neck surgeries 20, 20 years later. That was the night that I broke my neck. So that's the thing I remember. But after that, it was weird. It, and there's a reason I don't need to go into that now. There's a reason it stopped hurting. It was that basically my spinal column, it was a big thing of calcified jelly-like calcium that held it together for 20 years. The run after that was just until I lost the championship to uh, Larry Zabisco. And then afterwards, because I got it back straight away, that run was just unbelievable because I was on every single show. This was before Nitro. Right. The TV champion was on every show, and I did a promo with Tony. Remember the time when you, the Larry Zabisco thing came about because you refused to interview me? Right. Because I was insulting you and that led into something. And it was just a great time. I was traveling with Steve Austin most of the time then, uh, and then, uh, Triple H as well at different times. And that's, um, because he came in, in, in 1994, he came then. And so just that time, it was like we, we were doing so many shows and we were just having a blast. And I was going out and, doing these these long matches well not that long compared to what I was used to but a different pace and whatever else the only thing that I've got nothing bad to say anything that's happened bad in my life in, in the wrestling has been down to me there was a time in 97 98 that's my fault my time in WCW was fantastic they were great to me they paid me every first time in my life I, I guarantee they got paid every week I had fantastic wrestlers to wrestle not all the time but that was also a great learning experience because i had to wrestle like we used to do those worldwide tapings in in orlando and we yeah. did 13 shows in four days and i had to do 13 draws in, in four days <laughs> only the, every third or fourth one was a arn anderson or a terry taylor or a brad armstrong uh sort of somebody of that caliber you know incredible talent the rest of it was learning how to get matches out of certain people and, 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 and whatever else. It was just a wonderful, wonderful time for me in WCW, probably till the middle of uh, 1997. Well, a bit earlier than that, maybe the May of 1997. And then that's my fault. But when I had my problems, I went to WWE, I came out, I sorted my life out. WCW hired me straight back again, and I was, I, I, people forget I was there again in 1999. They were very good to me again. I got the word in 1999 to, from Dave Penzer, who used to live on the, where I live now, he used to live all across the way, but, well, not like on the other side of the subdivision. He just got hold of me one day, he said, Eric's heard that you've sorted yourself out. He, he'd like you to go down and see him, and, and I walked in, Tony, and <laughs> And Eric said, this place is screwed. <laughs> he said, but 
I've always liked you. You've cleaned your act up. He said, uh, would you like a job back? He said, I'll, I'll pay you as long as this place stays on. Fortunately for me, Vince Russo came in. Wasn't fortunate for anybody else that was there, but it was good for me because he wouldn't, he, he wouldn't use me on his shows. So I was only in 1999. I was just doing the Saturday nights and whatever else they were doing right. and live events. And then in the beginning of 2000, they said to me, JJ called me, JJ Dillon said, Sorry, Steve. He said, whatever we're paying you, you're not doing enough dates. I said, you don't have to, you've been decent enough to give me a gig. I finished working for WCW on the last day, which, unless it was a leap year, it was the 28th of February, 2000, and WWE started paying me on the 1st of March. Mm. I never missed a day. I have no complaints about it. And uh, to say it was, WCW was great to me. That initial run, as the TV champion and all that up to that was, and the next few years, I mean, I had, it was just great. And I was, everybody has a different way of looking at this. Yes. I've never moaned or complained about anything in this show. I was happy working on a fairground when I was a teenager. Every day has been, a, and I'm not just saying that every day has been a bonus for me. I was happy working there. And then I got to work for bigger companies in Britain. And then I went to, I traveled the world from 20 to 24. Then I came to America. It's been a blast. I, I, I haven't, I've got nothing to complain about. You know, the wrestling has been a charmed life. I have had a charmed life. So WCW, that, that original thing was a big deal. Yeah. And because the people around, because we, we used to do so many different live events then, I was on them, so I was always working and always working with great people. Not always great people, but if, if it wasn't a great person, I always looked at everything as a learning, like something to learn. You can go into things, I say this to a lot of the young talent, with a mindset of, this is terrible, this is, then it's going to be terrible. If you go in with, even if I was on with somebody who was no good, who just was a big bodybuilder, who clothesline, and I went, how can I get through this and what can I take from it? That's been my mentality from day one. So I've enjoyed it. It, it was all wonderful. Again, any problems are my problems that I, I, I was stupid. For an 18-month period of my life, I started looking for something that wasn't there. But basically, then then I what? Then it stopped. And then I've had another 21 incredible years in the company I've just worked for. And now I'm having an incredible time working in AAW. I'm having a blast. So I've had a charm, real, real charm life because it's resting. But what bothers me is when people moan and whine about it. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe you should get out and let somebody else do it. I'll, I'll just say that. 100% agree. Before before we let you go, I do want to ask about, or I want want to hear about your match with uh, Antonio Inoki, Clash of Champions. I think it was 38. Oh, wow. Uh, you want to talk about that a little bit? Okay, right. Well, everything's got a story in me. My association with New Japan goes back to 1986. Because when I first went to work for a different promoter, All-Star Promotions in England, Jushin Liger was there. Every year they sent over a new one of their young boys, as they call them, to Britain. And I was either in Britain or Germany or wherever with them for the next lot of years. We haven't got time to tell the story. And I don't know if I ever will tell that story of how I ended up wrestling Antonio and Oak. But okay. It was his choice and he picked me, All right. which was a big deal because that was number seven on his final countdown matches. Basically, he, he wanted to beat 
somebody of every wrestling star. Well, New Japan Pro Wrestling is based off European star wrestling. Right. And if, if Billy Robinson had still been around or anybody else for that, you'd have wrestled him. Or, you know, it's a somewhat of a myth. It's Lancashire star, Lancashire star, because Billy Robinson and Chris Carl Gotch trained in, in, in Lancashire, in, in, in Wigan. And that's not my thing, you know, I'm, because I'm, I did that style. And he, that's why he wanted to wrestle me. He also wanted to beat a WCW champion in an non-title match. Well, I happen to be not only a, what they consider a Lancashire star wrestler, which I'm really not. I'm just a British wrestler, but I'm on Blackpool's in Lancashire. And I was, I was the TV champion. And so I mean, that match was a, a very different because that was probably more on the level than the match with me. And for when I say I had to have a meeting with him in a, he had a hotel. It was in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, the hotel across the street. He had the entire top floor to himself. And I was taken in there by the Japanese because he was in the Japanese Senate, the diet. I, I was taken across there by the, their version of the FBI because they were there to protect him. And we got left in a room on our own. And he said, I want you to hit me as hard as you can and I'll hit you as hard as you can. Unfortunately, he was 51 and, and, and they'd been doing it. He hadn't, wasn't in the, the condition that he was. And if you see that, I battered the life out of him <laughs> until the very end. And I mean, I hit him straight away with a knee and he, he goes down. And he's gasping for air, he can't breathe, and I'm just smashing the life out of him. And nobody, and again, that was another one, nobody in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, could care less about an Englishman. And they didn't know, you know, Mr. Noki, they didn't know the incredible star that he was. He's just, and they're doing this Hulk Hogan thing, taking him to the hospital. So that, that that's getting shown over the top of the match. But I was... Well, me and Mr. Anoki, any time he could hit me, he was hitting me as hard as he could, and I was hitting him as hard as I could. But right at the beginning of it, I need him right in the solar plexus, and he went down. And I remember him going, because he's in church, it's Mr. Anoki, right? He's going, go home, because he's the big dog. And, I, I'm, and, and Nick's going, no, we've got six minutes to go. And he, he went, oh, and I'm just sma smashing him. I had it in my head. I wanted, because there's a famous big thing in Japan is a double arm suplex and Billy Robinson did that. Mm -hmm. I dead weighted him off the floor with a double arm suplex. So I got that shot. I knew the, what he wanted to do for the finish because he was doing this sleep roll and he said, I want you to tap. And I knew I wasn't going to tap. And whether you want to believe this, this is absolute truth. He put that on me. He put me to sleep. I didn't tap. I was out before, because I knew I'd be out before I know it. So if you see me, he puts it on and I'm supposed to tap. And I knew I'd either put me over with him. I knew that this was a big deal. Right. He choked me out and I didn't tap. And I went to sleep very quickly. And the next thing I know, Nick Patrick's waking me up. Now, knowing about that stuff wasn't the smartest idea again. <laughs> but, you know, I've been put out before. I, you know what I mean? Sure. Like, you don't feel it. You just go out. So... Yep. He actually showed me out. I remember at the beginning of that match, it was it was when that, what well, a lot of people do now, the first palm strikes to the face becoming a thing. Well, he hit me with one. The first one he hit me, and I just straight back palm strikes him right in the face. That knocked his one leg a bit wobbly. And then I laid in, I laid into him and milk, like kneaded him in the solar plexus. And he went down. And then I'm just sort of smashing him, trying to, 
get through this match. I deadlifted him off the floor with a, a German. And uh, and every time he hit me, he hit me and he kicked me and it was what it was. Mm-hmm. Let me just say, and I, I don't try and not give away anything that me and Fit did. Whatever you thought of me and Fit, there was far more reality going on in the uh, Mr. Anoki match. Yeah. Because he, he told me to beat him up. I just don't think he realized how much I could beat him up. You get a chance to watch uh, Uncensored 1996, you'll see what we're talking just about. Just don't watch the rest of it. Don't watch the rest of it. <laughs> it it's be- Clash of the Champions 38, which I believe is the very final Clash of the Champions ever uh, for WCW uh, during that run. Uh, William, thank you, brother. Thank you very much. Thank you for everything, as always. You're a good man. Thank you, over. Thank you. Uh, except for Jimmy Boogie Woogie Man Valiant, William Regal was the only guy to ever come in the ring and kiss me. And that happened recently on uh, AEW Dynamite when I was talking to Brian. Well, you want, you want your sister stood muffin, Tony. <laughs> you really are. You know, you really are. Stop. You are, sweetheart. You are. <laughs> Aubrey, take us out, for God's sake. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, thank you, William Regal. You can follow him on Twitter. Real King Regal. You can listen to and follow this podcast. We have new episodes every Thursday on all of your favorite podcast platforms and video episodes on Mondays. You can watch Elevation on Mondays on YouTube, Dark on Tuesdays on YouTube, Wednesdays we've got Dynamite on TBS, Fridays we've got Rampage on TNT. This is Aubrey Edwards and Tony Schiavone with the amazing William Regal. Thank you for listening to AEW Unrestricted. Come on, throw your hands up, let me see you. Unrestricted.